Welcome everybody to another episode of Iron Sotheby's Car Show and we're recording this in Richmond in the library and uh, it's the new year so we've come back after our Christmas and New Year break and it's a busy year basically isn't it Will? I'm well I'm hello Will. <laughs> Hi, uh, I would just like to introduce the fact that I'm sitting here with two very important specialists Will Smith but more important than Will Smith in a management role Bertie the Wheaton Terrier. Uh, Bertie's looking a bit. He's looking a bit weary. Will I'm not sure he's going to participate much. What have you done much. to him? Did he go for a, a particular well, long walk? This no, he, he, we had a very bad journey to work this morning, and he was in the boot of my car, okay. my Volkswagen Golf, and uh, my exotic Volkswagen Golf, and uh, it took two hours. It's to great to, to have him here, though. I mean, it's, it's he's really a very calming influence, isn't he? Always a pleasure. He's like he's like one of those dogs you uh, you take into hospital to make people feel a little bit better. Um, but is that I, why, why is that why you bring him in? Because this is basically like a hospital. Yeah, it makes me feel better. It calms me. Uh, but I don't. I, he's not. He's not looking like he's really going to say very much. Yeah, he might podcast. be asleep before you know it. Um, but anyway, he's got his own chair, which is nice. Uh, so, Will, here we are. It's January now. We're gearing up for Paris. Yes. Which we'll talk about. We're going to we're going to go into more depth. I think about Paris and some of these specific lots we've got in Paris in an, in another episode sure. uh, that we I think we're going to try and get out before the the Paris auction happens at the end of this month on the 31st of January for our readers benefit or our listeners benefit rather um, you can tell you're the <laughs> you can tell yeah I know it's not even it's not even a Monday um, but there's an auction before Paris there is, is Arizona Arizona um, a legendary sort of venue for us, like the Biltmore Hotel, yeah. steeped in sort of 1920s Art Deco glamour. It's great, isn't it? Uh, Marilyn Monroe used to stay there. Did she? Winter. Yeah, she had her own like little um, swimming pool, and it's known as Marilyn's Swimming Pool, and she used to stay there, and mm. you know, with all the glitzy sort of people of that era. And um, yeah. Yeah, so it's got a lot of glamour to it as, as a destination. It's great because it's January and it's sunny and it's always nice and warm. Um, and we've got some hugely important interesting cars going to Arizona um, and then it is back to Paris uh, mm-hmm. back to Europe for our first big sale of the year isn't it it's, and it is one of the biggest it is it is and you are you going out to you're going out to Arizona I'm not sure you're not sure mm, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm not I have been the, I have been before and so, it is yeah. mega and it is lovely to see the sun at this time of year and I also they have some very impressive cacti around that uh, some of the largest Hotel. in the world, I think. Apparently, they're ancient. Like, yeah. if you see a cactus which is... 100 foot tall. Yeah. And yeah. Been, it's been growing since Neanderthal I, I didn't man even, was I didn't even think I didn't even think cacti could grow to that scale. They're very... I was... I was that, they were the... My first trip to that, that, that auction a couple of years ago was the first time I'd seen such magnificent cacti. Amazing. Uh, but we won't dwell too much on the cacti. No. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, we've got Arizona, which is going to be great. Paris, as I say, we're not going to say we won't. Let's not say too much about Paris because we're going to do no, it. No, but it's on the thirty-first of January. The catalogs, the, uh, yeah, on the website. People yeah, can check it out. Yeah, we've got loads and, of interesting cars, and uh, it, it, it's in this great venue, isn't it? That we um, used for the first time last year. The um, uh, under the Louvre, essentially. It's yeah. subterranean, but it's yeah. ma- it's a massive venue. Isn't but it, it feels like. Sal de, Car- Sal de Carousel, Carousel isn't it? Yeah. Yes. And, and it feels like an extension of the Louvre, like another another room or exhibition, because it is part of the same building. Yeah. So you get this like very high-end, artistic, modern 
kind of look and aesthetic to the venue. Yeah. Which is which is unlike quite a lot of venues that we go to. And and it's just a very, very smart and lovely place to present cars. Although, have you did you do you remember if you're sort of in the foyer area or walking towards the rooms where the auction takes place. Yes. Do you remember seeing that ancient wall? Yes. It's like it's ro- it's sort of a old Roman walls or something. Which, which they kind of preserved. Which they preserved. They yeah. built over. Yeah. But, um, yeah. But yeah. And then built a shopping centre on top of it. <laughs> Literally. McDonald's <laughs> is like across the road. But hey, um, uh, other, other fast food outlets are available. But um, yeah, in terms of um, venues, it's, it, it's up there. And there is a very much, the, the auction itself takes place within this amphitheatre. Mm. Uh, and it's a very kind of warm and, and interesting environment to, to observe an auction, which at times does look like and should be like theatre, really. It is. It's, 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 it's really great. And we'll, we will come back to Paris. Um, and then, of course, we've got, we've got our new event, Moda Miami. Yeah, that's really exciting. And that's, that's a really interesting take and concept of, of, of the traditional Concours event, which, we, which we're trying to shake up a bit and, 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 and make a little bit more relevant, a bit more modern and a bit more interesting for, for visitors. And that's, <clears throat> yeah, 1st and 2nd of March. And, uh, really At another Biltmore Hotel. Another legendary Biltmore Hotel mm. and, and lots of space, incredible cars on, both on display. And obviously there will be an auction element over two days. So, so, what, so what is it then, Moda Miami? It's, it's, it, 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 as you say, it's not just an auction. It is a, it's, a, it's a whole kind of automotive lifestyle event, isn't yes. it? Yes. I mean, which, which sounds sort of very, you know, your sort of PR worldy kind of yeah. um, spinny kind of stuff. But, but What are you saying? <laughs> but I, um, I think in terms of reaching out to new audiences, I think that is what the classic car community need to be doing. I think there's a risk of the classic car community just sticking to their guns and not sharing the passion that they need to be to, to, to interest the next generation. Like that's what we're talking yeah. about. Yeah. For our passion and our industry to thrive, it needs another generation to come through. Yeah. So we, 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 we're extending it to sort of art and fashion and cars and broadening the appeal, I guess. And through Sotheby's as well, who are obviously going to help us yeah. to do that. Absolutely. And I think I don't think, I mean, everyone's got their own view and, and I'm just speaking very personally. I've never historically been a huge Concours lover. I know some people love Concours events mm. and that's absolutely fine. I've, you, and I think there's, there is a very North American way of doing Concours. Actually, I mean, the European way is not that different if you look at events like Villa d'Este, but mm. it's very much sort of beige chinos, blazer and straw hat. The straw hat uh, is and, a consistent it, theme, isn't it? Uh, and, but it's, it's also quite quite middle-aged in terms of the the, the, the look and feel. So I, I think the idea of making a Concours event more appealing to a younger audience by by just changing some of the dynamics that you have. Well, I think kids, that's like really we've got a kids area. Like that's not that's not something you would ever ever yeah. see a Concours event, uh, a kids area. Um, you know, so I guess that that's what we're trying to achieve with that event, and it is really important. And I think for a lot of us who work within the industry uh, to see events like that pop up. And uh, yeah, we're really excited to go there and, and, and show the world what, what a car event should be like. And shall I, so we have, it, within the auction at Moda, um, we have one lot, it probably won't be the only one that's not a car, but it's an interesting one. It is indeed, and it's got some Hollywood history to it, Peter. It has. It? It's a gypsy moth, yeah. so that's a British uh, uh, sort of biplane, that's the word I was looking for. Um, I don't actually know the year that that plane was made, but the important 
Um, thing about uh, this particular plane is that it featured in the film Out of Africa. Indeed. Flown, uh, well, in terms of the character that flew it within the movie, uh, by Robert Redford. My mum's favourite actor. Uh, my mum's favourite actor. Very cool. Yeah. I, wouldn't, I think we'd all like to look like Robert Redford, wouldn't we? He was so a, just a wonderful, wonderful looking man. He was. And I'm very confident would, to say that. He, yeah. And him, him and Robert Redford, uh, him and Paul Newman in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid was like, that's the dream team, isn't it? I think it, yeah, I think they disturbed a whole generation of women by TV, I think. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the, the, the thing is with that air, aircraft is that um, it was very central, you know, it was a very central um, feature of that movie because mm. Redford's character, he's kind of an adventurer, he's a, um, a big game hunter, and you get these... I, th- I think, I mean, it won a lot of Oscars out of Africa, but but I think it won the award for the cinematography yeah. and those incredible scenes of the plane flying across the Was it the plane savannas. to plane or helicopter to plane? Uh, How yeah, to- I mean, I think, yes, they, a lot of it was. Very yeah. cool. Yeah, and, um, and it is absolutely beautiful. And I've got an interesting anecdote about out of Africa. Does it involve your, your good self? Well, I went, the premiere in the UK... Yes. was in Edinburgh. Right. And I went to the premiere and I was quite young. And the reason is, is that my old man had a friend locally, yes. sort of in the south of England, and his name was Robin Finch Hatton. Robert, Robin's sadly not alive anymore. Mm. And Redford's character in Out of Africa is Dennis Finch Hatton. Right. And Dennis Finch Hatton was the Earl of Winchelsea. Okay. So he was an aristocrat. Okay. And Robin Finch Hatton, Robin Finch Hatton has an older brother, and his older brother is, or he's probably not alive anymore now either, but he was the current Earl of Winchelsea. But Robin, the right honourable Robin Finch Hatton, um, was an old, a, a really uh, keen car guy. Right. And he had a BMW 328. My dad had a BMW 328, and they were just friends. Cool. And they used to spend a lot of time together. And so that's just, it's just a bit random. So when the, the Finch Hatton family were invited to the premiere. Yeah. And they couldn't uh, get anyone else. So they, <laughs> so and they asked I, you. I, we, we were, I went with my mum and dad. That's, that's amazing. Uh, yeah. uh, it was really cool. And um, did you meet Robert Redford and Mel Street and all this? I, no, I didn't actually get to meet them. Yeah. I was sort of just, I saw them. Okay. But I was sort of ushered into 12 year old boys, so they're not really no. welcome. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if I was 12, but I can't remember the year. It's a really, you know, no, that is a really cool piece of motion picture history, that plane. And, and, and also, kind of what is kind of part of what we're trying to do is broaden the appeal of what we're doing here and appealing to different collector communities. And certainly, mm. the, the plane collector community is very different to the car collector community. It, it is. Uh, but the interesting. This is uh, this has always fascinated me, but I, because I don't have a pilot's license, it's it's, it's entirely pointless me <laughs> scouring adverts for air, aircraft. But the estimate on that uh, Gypsy Moth, and it's a kind of a restored, up and running plane, mm. uh, is one hundred and forty to two hundred and twenty thousand dollars. Yeah. In, I mean, you you know, one hundred and forty thousand dollars doesn't actually these days get you a staggeringly incredible car. It gets you some very nice cars, let's not underplay it. But yeah. And it's a lot of money by most people's standards. But this is an aeroplane. And and, and for the price of a kind of a 
2.2e Porsche. Yeah, um, I feel the same way about boats. I think boats and planes have the same sort of allure when it comes to their values. But because I think most people realise who own boats and planes is that they cost eight times as much to actually maintain a boat or a plane. They do. I, yeah, the I, actual initial outlay. Yeah, I'm not sure what it would cost to sort of look after and fly a gypsy moth uh, on an annual basis, but probably <laughs> probably more than I've got. But um, but they do look... And, and in fact, tiger moths in particular, um, they... You can... I mean, in this country, you can buy a pretty decent one for like £70,000. Well, you should. It's, you should. You, you could just park it and look... Just put it in the garden and You stare live in it. a nice rural community. Yeah. You can fly yeah. around and, yeah. and annoy your neighbours. It'd be great. But, but, you know, we don't just sell cars. No, we sell true. planes. We um, do sell the occasional boat. So a few motorbikes. So, so Moda... Yeah. We go f from Miami to another new event. Mm. Oh, before you say that, okay. can I just say one thing about that gypsy moth? Yeah. The proceeds are going to a charity. It's important to say okay, that. Okay, that is important. Because, because the plane has remained in Africa uh, on, a, on, a, a, on a game park. Yes. And the proceeds are going to save the black rhino. Great. I think it's important we get that. No, it? no, absolutely. That's really important. Um, anyway. Okay, well, so we covered off uh, Moda. Yep. And then only a week later... Something quite exciting and interesting. Yeah. What are we doing? We are going to a brand new auction. Another brand new auction. At this time, it's in the Middle East. And it is a truly groundbreaking event. I mean, we say that a lot about our events. But I, I genuinely think that for the region, it is a hugely exciting development that we are now doing an auction with cars in Dubai. Because, frankly, it, I don't think in Dubai, I know it has been done in Abu Dhabi and Saudi Arabia, but in actually Dubai itself, car auctions are a bit of an anomaly and, and have been historically. Mm, mm. Um, so we are we are making huge ground into, into the Middle East with that auction. Um, and the Dubai sale is, is really exciting. It's a bespoke, quite, quite low number of cars. So it's quite curated sale. Cool venue. Very, very cool. The concrete venue. Yeah. Um, which has won many architectural awards. What's the concrete venue made of? Do you know? Good one. Um, the um, the kind of cars that we, we we want to try and attract to that sale are the sort of things that okay, there's lots of sort of modern supercars that you can buy in Dubai, and, and many are on the market. But uh, and I think some other people that have gone to the region have made the mistake to offer the very cars that are in the shop windows ten yards down the road in those locations. I think what what we always try and strive to do is fine cars you can't just go down the road and buy. Yeah. And once you, if you find those kind of vehicles, um, the job of selling them is a lot easier and because, you know, people mm. really are intrigued and ask and they come to you. So really, as a specialist, if I'm doing my job properly, I should just be concerning cars that, that you know, people are itching and dying to own. Um, but my general rule is that, you know, if, if I would like to own it, then maybe... A discerning customer would like to own it. As well, well, because it's all about, you know, the the the, collect, the car collecting scene in the Middle East. Yeah, um, it is. You know, the UAE, Saudi, the whole region. It is growing, and there's a growing acceptance that 
there is a world of car ownership that isn't just modern supercars and for sure cars. for sure yeah. and it's, it's very much goes down an art theme which in that part of the world is obviously the one of the biggest areas of growth in the art market in the last 10 years has been in the middle yeah. east yeah. and the interest in, in the middle east to the art market has been overwhelming in the last 10 years so as as a consequence of us positioning ourselves with as, as with cars and art and Sotheby's and having more of that connection. I think it only it's intrinsic and, and, and it goes hand in hand that we're going to be doing auctions in that in that that mm. uh, part of the world. And also that people in that part of the world in the Middle East want to embrace cars as art. Because I think, um, you know, a lot of what we're seeing now and the events that they're putting on, um, all, there's a huge tie in there um, with the art world. And I think yeah. slowly but surely people are seeing that. And... Um, as we've shown in the last few years with combining contemporary art sales and car sales, 250 GTOs in Sotheby's in New York and F1 cars in Geneva, luxury week in Geneva last year. So, you know, the theme is there. Art and cars is actually happening. And um, I think it's a great new opportunity to explore it. Because the interesting thing is, is that they, there was a perception mm. and it was likely true for a very long period of time that a classic car mm. is, in inverted commas, a second-hand car. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. that the, they don't really want second-hand cars. Yes. They want new cars, Bentleys and Rolls Royces and Bugattis and, and stuff like that. But 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 that's part of the evolution, isn't it? That people it is. are going. Um, well, it, this thing is a is a collectible entity in its own right. It's not a second-hand car. Yeah, and. I think you know we've got a pre-war Bugatti coming into the sale. You we know, we, we, which is, it's amazing that cars like that, there are they are. I mean, most of them are hidden away, but there are there are pre-war cars out there. Absolutely, which you wouldn't really imagine to be the case. And racing cars, you know, racing yeah. in the area has obviously in the last fifteen years started with Bahrain, didn't it? When, yeah. when when they came into Formula One. Yeah. Slowly but surely. Um, region after region, country after country, has followed yep. suit by building racetracks. And obviously as a consequence of that, a lot more money has gone into racing. Durance racing is huge over there now. So I think it, the whole area is expanding its its knowledge and its um, it is love. A, and and we, we sponsored, uh, RM Sotheby sponsored the uh, historic GP in Dubai yeah. uh, early, it was early December, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, which I was fortunate to go to Beautiful weather, thirty something degrees uh, in early December. So we love that. But you know, a great, a great selection of cars, and, yeah. you know, and it's sort of they're trying to give that a kind of a period, sort of almost revive. It was sort of very seventies themed, and, sure. and it was really cool. It yeah. was really cool. And you can't imagine events like that taking place ten years ago. No. So, also, can I mention another event which I just love? Yeah, it's going on right now. Is, on the, is the Dakar? You know, oh yeah, and now the Dakar's in, in in Saudi Arabia, and it's a it's a now an annual thing, and the and the, all the big you know manufacturers are there now, kind of putting a lot of money into that, and it just shows where where a lot of the money is in the world with motorsports is going, and and at the moment the interest definitely is the Middle East is 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 really in, embracing that kind of motorsport, uh, and lots of other types of motorsport. No, absolutely. And so I think we're really looking forward to Dubai. And we, funnily enough, we're going to do a podcast uh, from the Dubai so people can actually, uh, in a few weeks' time, 
uh, see this remarkable venue that we that we've secured. And your remarkable suntan, of course. That you'll know by that be... time. I'm going to go out two weeks in yeah. advance, so I can really <laughs> smash the tan out of the uh, out of the ballpark. Yeah. Um, Hawaiian tropic all the way. Yeah. Yeah. No happy days. Um, so. Okay, so let, we'll, 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 let's just sort of begin to wind up our conversation about the events that are coming up later this year. But it's, yes. it, 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 we are duty bound because we've got another. Well, we're going back to Monaco, of course, aren't we, are. we in May, yes. and that's the weekend of the historic Grand Prix out there. Yeah, mega. Uh, that so they for the benefit of our listeners, the the the, the historic Grand Prix takes place only about a week or so before the proper Grand Prix but but that means that they've essentially done all of the work around the city to get it ready for racing you mean you know. turning it into a logistical nightmare yeah you know the, 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 you know all, yeah. all the armco safety barriers the, all of the temporary grandstands have gone up and all of that kind of stuff and um and it's great and it we, we we have a buy I always get this wrong. Biannual does mean every two years, not twice a year, doesn't it? No, biannual is every two years. Yes. Okay. Biannual. (laughs) I did go to school, by the way, at some point. Um, So biannual, we went to Villa Herba last year. So it's a Monaco year in 2024. And that's always a great sale, isn't it? Great venue, lots of cars. It always delivers and it's 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 glamorous and it's a, tied into a great event, obviously, that's going on at the same time. And yeah, we go there and we love it. And um, it's been a firm fixture for many years. And we're busy, busy sort of consigning cars for that. And just finally, because it's new and uh, we ought to tell our, our listeners about it. We got a new. Well, no, no, no. Actually, two oh, new. Lord, two new. Our new. Yeah, two new. we've got two new sales. Yeah. And. They're both in June. One's in June, one's in July. Tegensy's in July. Teg- yes. So so we go to... I'm only the marketing director. Yeah, you know, it's fine. It's fine. You, yeah. can't, you, you go as you, as I you just, go. You just, I, I live, you know, day by day. Hour by hour. <laughs> hour by hour. Minute by minute. Uh, yeah, so sorry. We are going to a brand new UK sale at Cliveden, which is extremely exciting because we traditionally have only done one sale a year in the UK. So this is our second sale that we're adding to the UK market. Um, and yeah, it's going to be at a wonderful, wonderful stately home, which has lots of room for everyone to park and come up and see the cars and, and get familiar with things. So yeah, we're, we're really delighted to be there. It's going to be a really exciting. Not, nice to have a second UK sale because, yeah. you know, we, 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 we've always had the UK sale in, in the autumn stroke winter. Yes. It's dark. It's a bit rainy. Um, yeah. But and there are reasons why we have it at that time, but but it's nice to have something when, in theory, yeah, even in Britain, the sun might be shining. It might be, and you know, last year this, that sort of time of year we went to Le Mans, and you know, so we're always trying to do new stuff and find new events, and 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 it's really exciting. So and Clifton, of course, uh, and this will only mean if you're a UK listener, this it'll only mean something. But it it, it was the the focal point of the. Um, Profumo, the, the Profumo scandal. Yes, the swimming pool We're, there, right? The, yeah, so so um, a few shenanigans involving U- British politicians and, um, well, let's call them cool girls, all debatable. but And spies. And sure. Russian spies. Yeah. And it was a huge um, political scandal and, and all over the newspapers, they've made movies about it. But the kind of the, the central hub of that scandal was Clifton when it was a private home. Uh, and but the swimming pool's still there. Yeah, and it's very very cool. Great. Very cool. No, I'm excited to go there. Very um, excited to go to Clifton. So uh, 
and Tegensee. So in, we're going to have a second German sale, which is exciting. Not yep. far from Munich, um, at a lake, isn't yes. it? Lake Tegensee. Yes. And there's going to be a new concourse event going on. There is, and uh, it's it's one that we know well because it's the same organisers of, of, of the Hampton Court Concord Elegance, which is mm -hmm. you know a, a now a, a really firm fixture in the UK calendar, um, and and they're doing this one in Germany because I think again the German market is a new market certainly for auctions, and these kind of concord events because there aren't that many events like that in Germany, funnily enough, and um, no. the the number sheer volume of cars that are in Germany is disproportionate to the number of events that you can show them at. Yeah. Uh, you know, all well and good, you know, a, a grubby hall in Essen showing your wares, but... <laughs> let's, uh, hope, let's, let's hope the organisers of the Essen show... Uh, no, uh, I love uh, Essen. Uh, there's an there's a, there's a absolute time and a place for Essen. They're just grubby halls, though, aren't they? They are slightly grubby halls. Uh, if you like, you know, schnitzel and beer, oh, love and you know I do. Yeah, they're, they're great places. Um, but the Tegensee event is going to be a cut above, shall we say, um, as, a, as a new event and auction. Um, we're set to bring a bit of glamour to the German uh, car market. We are indeed. So I think that's that's something else to look forward to. And that's basically just take we, all of that and we're still only halfway through the year. And then we've got a range of other things going on. But we'll, we'll, we'll save that indeed. for another episode. It's going to be busy, but, uh, you know, the, the locations are really cool. Uh, we also should mention, of course, we've got a lot of sealed cars that we're going to be Sotheby sealed um, yeah cars that we're yeah. going to be and let's in. not forget North America and North America <laughs> I mean yeah it's 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 really jam-packed um, but that you know this is kind of what we do last year was the same we pretty much had an auction every month for you know the whole year um, as an average so yeah it's really exciting the locations are really cool and like a good mixture of events that we're mm. doing with those auctions yeah which totally. always help totally so okay that's just uh, moving on to a slightly different topic. It's we're recording this. It's January. It's the beginning of a new year, and that's. It's a good time to reflect, on the year that was, yeah, and the year that's coming. Yeah. So last year, um, wasn't a bad year for the market, was it? It um, wasn't. It wasn't across the board. Where you know, for dealers, for other auction houses, for us, it was. A pretty solid year. It was, and and I think I think we were very fortunate last year to be able to pivot and move from country to country. So we I'm, do our auction. I'm just going to let him have some coffee. Uh, <laughs> so he's standing up to, to say something. I think at this point he's really he's engaged. Uh, uh, what do you want to say about the market? Yeah, quite right. Anyway, yeah. carry on. We'll so so about 2023, I think, was the year that everyone was predicting would be a disaster. Everyone felt. War in Ukraine, huge energy price rises, interest rate rises, uncontrolled inflation, effectively, is what we saw at the beginning half of last year, which is slightly scary from a macro macro perspective. But bringing it back down to the collector car world, micro, micro level, actually, we performed really well and the market performed well for, for what was brought to the market. And yes, the, we all know that the people are more scrupulous. There's a lot more questions being asked about every car that comes on you know, through the auction rooms. Um, but we found some great, great product last year and we sold it for, you know, at that time what it was worth. And I think we can confidently say that, you know, last year was a good year and stuff made basically what it was worth at that, at that moment in time. Yes, we've seen demand wane for certain era of cars or certain types of cars. Um, 
But that's not to say that it can't come back around and history is very cyclical. And I think, for example, this year ahead, moving from 2023 to 2024, um, I think we're going to see a bit more confidence in the market than we did last year. I just think that, you know, things have controlled, you know, from from banks, central banks across the world are starting to calm down when it comes to interest rate rises. If we're talking about potential interest rate falls now. So that begin, has brought a degree of stability. Now, there's a lot of other factors at play here. Um, you know, if the Red Sea is shut for the next six months, that's not going to do much good for anyone, is it? No. Um, but no. Um, that said, I do think there's a bit more confidence in the market. And I do think that uh, there's plenty of opportunity to expand new buyers and br bring new buyers yeah. to the table. I mean, yeah. One thing we pride ourselves on is, is bringing new buyers to the market. And I'm excited to see who comes in this mm. year as well. Mm. Um, I actually think pre-war is, is due a little bit of a um, resurgence, shall we say, perhaps. Because for years and years, people have been saying that the pre-war buyers are dying off and, and, the, and the younger generations are not taking up the mantle. To, to, to They want to buy F40s and Countach's and you know cooler stuff, right, that appeal to them. But I don't know, maybe all it takes is, is somewhere like India or China to start really getting into the, the history of it all. Um, for there to be a huge demand again for pre-war. So I think mm. this might be the year that pre-war actually comes back to being a bit more of a stable currency than it has been in the last few years. Um, yeah, I think, you know, the death of the pre-war market has sort of <laughs> been predicted for years and hasn't actually really come around. And I, I, for sure, if you do look at the, the real market values for certain cars, whether yeah. it's pre-war Bentleys or... Yeah. You know, the cars that are very popular historically in that area, like 3098 Vauxhalls and stuff like that. Yes. They're, they're, they have softened. Yes. You don't pay as much now for a car as you would have done, say, six, seven, eight years ago. Yeah. But there is still demand and they are. Sure. Um, and because, Pete, there is an appreciation of the the beauty of them and the spoke the, element yeah and interesting coach work you know bespoke coach building was at its peak in the pre-war pre era wasn't yeah. it i mean it, it, it wasn't nearly so much a thing after the war and if you really appreciate bespoke coach building and 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 all of that and real sort of artisan skills yeah pre-war's got it all for sure and and so and, hi and history you know you, you, yeah the, the the one factor that you can't always put a price on is history and if a pre-war car has notable ownership or has done something cool mm. then there is a huge interest in in those yep. sorts of vehicles um, and you and i are mm. both members should we give a plug to the trundlers yeah. let, let, let's, let's give a plug to the trump so the trump <laughs> the trundlers is a is a, a sort of a community of car enthusiasts um started off by um a chap called simon ray and Lots of very young people in that group. In fact, I'm I'm an old time within that group, which I've suddenly realised. Apart from Simon's dad, uh, me and Simon's dad. Um, but what's amazing about that yeah. is the love of pre-war cars. Is massive. Is massive. Yeah, and and that you know that that says something about. Yes, you can go out and buy generic models and, and, and things of which are kind of mass produced, right? From after mm. the Second World War, a lot of the models that we, we're used to selling are, are very built in high numbers, effectively. Um, but And you compare that to the pre-wars, what's left, how many are surviving, um, and how original cars are surviving. I think preservation is what it's all about. And, and people, I think the younger generation, are starting to really get behind 
this originality preservation kind of theme, which is just great because they are the coolest cars, in my opinion. Uh, and, and the interesting thing is, is that, okay, look, you can go and buy an MG Midget or something of that nature yeah. quite cheaply if you want a kind of a post-war sports car. But, you know, you've got great demand for Austin 7s, pre-war Austin 7s. And yeah. partly that's driven by the fact that there are so many fantastic and fun events you can do. Yes. You can have, arguably, you can have way more fun with an Austin 7 than yeah. you can with an MG Midget because yes. you can go and do VSCC trialling and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so that, so, I mean, that might be a little bit UK specific. Yeah. We've, you know, we've got quite an eccentric pre-war scene in the UK that you don't always have in other in other countries but certainly in the UK I think the the the, the future for pre-war cars it's, and if you the thing is if you get a 20 year old into a into a yeah. 10 grand Austin 7 yeah they're going to by the time that person's 50 yes they're going to be fully into the immersed in the pre-war also, scene also there's a sense that for younger people pre-war cars are much more accessible from an ownership perspective you can learn how to build and rebuild and 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 look after your Austin, Austin <laughs> 7 whereas a more modern car requires much more specialist attention and and servicing so for young people actually pre-war cars are brilliant because you can pick up real bargains out there especially if you're up for a project it's meccano my what got well my dad was into cars but what really when i was young i was just observing my dad yeah. pursue his hobby but what he did when I was 16 is he presented me with a pile of bits and said, if you can build that, you can keep it. Really? And it was a pile of Austin 7 bits. And like <laughs> cool. there was an engine block over there and the chassis was leaning against a wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there were some springs and it was all there. And it's still all there. <laughs> uh, uh, well, it, and, and, I, and I just, and he said, I, I'm going to help you, but I'm not going to, I'm like, I'm only going to help you a bit. You're yeah. going to have to learn. And that's exactly what I did. So from the age of about, for about a year up to, so I got it when I was 16. But yeah. by the time I'd learnt, passed my driving test, the car was almost finished. And um, and I knew nothing about, I, I knew, I didn't know one end of spanner from another, but it, it, there you know, you go. it can be done. It can be done. Yeah. If you can do it. If, if an idiot Anyone like me, can do it. <laughs> <laughs> that is very true. In so many things that I'm involved with. Um, Yes, so there we go. Uh, Pre-war cars. Pre-war in 2024. I and think you, maybe, yeah. You, well, sorry, because I was just going to... Uh, we're going to talk a, a, about Paris, uh, some, some of the consignments in our Paris sale uh, another time, but you've yes. actually consigned quite a big collection of pre-war cars to Paris. And yeah, yeah, a collection of cars that, that have been kind of collated and within this, this collection for, you know, probably 30, 40 years, a lot of them, and they're really well-known cars. Some of them have incredible one-off unique histories you know royalty and the glitterati of the 1930s um fangio drove one of them which is a sort of crazy post-war uh, aluminium special that, that, mm. that that's in the collection there's a huge variety there's a load of ferraris in there daytona uh, a testarossa with no miles um and the Daytona actually was originally purple, which is with white leather interior, which is very oh Peter Warman. Very Peter Warman and very Peter Haynes, I'd say, from in terms of, yeah, you know, true. when you were kids, I reckon yeah, that's, that's a that's a. You spec. need a suntan, though. You need a really good suntan for a car with a white interior, don't you? you? Well, you know, you know after gotta, Dubai, you might be yeah, able to nice pair of jump in. Nice pair of purcells. No, it, yeah. it, it's, it's a really cool, varied, it's, we're calling it the Timeless Collection. And it is timeless because it spans, you know, sort of 70 years of motoring. 
from the earliest car to the latest car. But what the theme often that goes through the collection generally is that they're kind of flagship models of what they were. So there's a Phantom 3, right, which was the flagship Rolls-Royce at the time. There's a Phantom 2 with a one-off coach built. Um, there's a Hispano H6, which was the first ever H6 Hispano, delivered new to the King of Spain. You know, exceptional histories to these cars. And um, a lot of them have done Pebble Beach uh, as well, and Villa mm. Veste. Mm. There's a beautiful Isotta Francini. You know, this is the great thing about our industry is that you, you can sign a collection like this and inevitably, even as a specialist, you learn so much about new cars. You know, the 8A Castagna, it turns out, was only built, there's only eight of them built, you know, to that specification mm. as an mm. 8A. And, and you just pick up on so much detail. And yeah, it's a feast, you know, just the knowledge of, of pre-war and is, is immense. We, we did a podcast with um, Alan Titchmarsh. Mm. And because uh, he loves cars, for, for the listeners that aren't aware, and you're probably going to have to be British to know who Alan Titchmarsh is, but a well-known TV personality. And he's he's got a, an E-Type, which mm. he said he loves, but he doesn't really drive in. He's, he's got a pre-war Lagonda. Yeah. And he did have a four and a half litre Bentley as well. Uh, and he just said, you know, the reason why he prefers driving the Lagonda to the E-Type mm. is that it's such a different experience yeah. to driving... And sort of any post-war car right up to the modern day. So a good post-war car, yeah. of course, the experience of driving your your Alpha yeah. isn't the same as driving a, a, a Vauxhall Astra. But, but but you know, by that time, cars were sufficiently advanced. You had synchro mesh gearboxes yeah. and, and yeah. much better brakes. But when, when you get to, you know, pre-war cars where you've got cable-operated brakes yeah. and you've got... Uh, you know, steering that doesn't feel especially connected to the front wheels and yeah. at difficult gearboxes. They're, they're interesting and challenging to drive. For but sure. They, but they are uh, the reason that that mm. sort of diametrically a different experience is yeah. the reason why people love the cars. They're totally, they're hugely rewarding to master, you know, like just double declutching down through mm. a Bentley gearbox or a or you yeah. know, an Austin Seven gearbox even you know is an incredibly rewarding experience as a driving experience, and and as you say, it's completely different. It's a, a much slower pace, um, but because safety is so bad, and you're basically hanging out of the most of these cars, it feels like you're going a million miles an hour, which mm. is brilliant. Mm. And there's yeah, there's a whole community I think of um, pre-war enthusiasts out there. Uh, and I saw it when I, I do my annual rally to Jeanne d'Autumn, which is uh, in the autumn, hosted by my friend Etienne uh, and Guillaume. And they do a wonderful rally through the Champagne region of Reims. And um, basically, the, the, the camaraderie, one of my friends had a Fraser Nash and another one had brought like a 1908 Bianchi, to the, to cool. the which they drove from the UK mm. to uh, the Champagne region, w w like sitting on top of a car, basically, kind of that kind of 1908 look. Um, but you know, inevitably, a few of them had mechanical problems, and they just all were immediately on the floor, looking under engines, getting oily, and helping each other to fix. If the you problem. own a Fraser Nash, that's just standard. That's standard. Obviously. Fix the chain. <laughs> standard on Fraser Nash. Um, but the Nash went down, and then within two hours, it was back on the track again yeah. because they'd all just chipped in and helped each other. It's that kind of community which I think attracts people as well to the pre-war world. So, just perhaps wrapping up this this episode. We talked about pre-war, and mm. we think that the state of the pre-war market's uh, looking pretty good. Mm. And um, 
as we as we start knocking off a few of the uh, 2024 sales, I guess we'll we'll, we'll see for ourselves. Um, what el- what else is there? Another? Are you still sort of predicting that the Ferrari market will remain strong? The Porsche market is going to stay within certain areas. I, I think that you've seen a lot of the modern hype around Porsches starting to drop off a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, you see now. If you want to go and find a GT3, the latest GT3, you can find them. They're available again. Mm. And people, there isn't the same like f- fanfare that we had during COVID where you had to be on multiple waiting lists and you had to have bought these cars before you can bought that car. Yeah. And it, that all created crazy demand and huge rise in, in prices of, of residual values on those sorts of cars. Where I think the, the kind of general rule that most people acknowledge is... is, is the reality of the car market right now is that if you buy something that is 20 to 30 years old now, though those are the cars in the next 10 years which are most likely to go up in value. Because yeah. Yeah. as we know, the generation that lusted after them are now coming into more money. And that's why you see that sort of 20 years of depreciation on a newish car. And then at around the 20 year mark, the depreciation curves levels off and then starts to go up again. And um, if you buy, my only advice to anyone looking at what to buy is just just go with, do your homework and go with low numbers, low volume is always going to be work in your favour if you're looking mm. to collect which, something. Of co- which of course has always been the interesting thing about the Porsche market because uh, although you know any GT2s are limited production, yeah, but 911s in general they, they pump, pump them out. They pump them out. Yeah. They always have in yeah. big numbers, um, which is. I think when the Porsche market really started a few years ago to sort of go a little bit gangbusters, a lot of people were looking at it thinking, I don't really understand this because there are so many of these cars on the market. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if you want a pre-74 2.2e, yeah. there's no shortage of them. Uh, yeah. The, the, and, and, but, but still, the, the, the prices were building and building and building. The, yeah. That's different to Ferrari because production numbers are always... You'd almost, lower. Almost, you know, even the kind of ordinary Ferraris, mm. um, a, a 308 GT4, for example. Yeah. Production numbers were low yes. for those cars. Yeah. I, yeah, it's true. And, and, you know, in 2024, I, I guess if you, if you told me that Porsche prices in certain regions are going to continue to go, I would believe you because what we saw at the end of last year with the white collection that we did was just the demand for that brand is on a similar level, I think, to Ferrari. You know, mm-hmm. Ferrari attracts certain type of collector. Oh, he's off. Um, bye, Bernie. You've absolutely Bernie. bored him senseless. No, he just he, wants that. No, he wants, he wants <laughs> yeah. the... Get off. He wants the Bakewell. Sorry, for okay. listeners, the dog is trying to eat a Bakewell tart. So, uh, yeah, uh, Porsche world, Ferrari world, they are in their own sort of league, I think, when it comes to the volume of collectors that are demanding that product. And, it's, you know, you can see why. Like, Porsches are just, you, they're turnkey. You get in a Porsche, it's kind of going to work. And it's going to be a great engineering piece of automotive design that you can use every day. And yeah. that's the appeal, I think. Um, obviously, you go to the rarer models, the racier models, that's different. But in a general sense, any young person out there who wants to jump into a transactional, you know, early 944, uh, we were talking about the other day, you want to buy a 944. I really want a 944. Or a, an early Boxster, let's say 2.5 litre Boxster. You know, th- that's that's a really good entry level to a brand that is, you know, legendary. And, and I think 
when people buy those sorts of cars, the, the sort of cheaper variants, they realise how good they are. Do you know, my son, I've got a son that's um, recently turned 17 and he's learning to drive and he's uh, been getting onto Auto Trader and doing what you do when you're 17 and you want a car. I, I still he, go on and, Auto Trader. And of course, what he's completely doing is disregarding things like insurance. Ah. So he's he's like looking he's looking at premium brands thinking For sure. oh. and he showed me a 2.5 boxster the other day yeah it was just over three grand <laughs> and it had done loads and loads of miles probably hasn't been serviced for 10 years yeah but bloody hell three grand said, yeah okay son nice you're not having a boxster no because it will cost him three thousand pounds to insure it but but bloody hell yeah Three and a bit grand. <laughs> yeah, it's extraordinary, isn't it? Um, but there are, you know, for young people out there that are looking to buy classic cars, there are massive loopholes, especially when it comes to classic car insurance. You know, and I wouldn't be surprised if Boxsters are suddenly starting to be considered more classic. Yeah. And you could probably get them on a classic policy. For example, if you had a classic policy and you added your son as a named driver, let's say, on that Boxster, I don't think it would be as crazily expensive as if he was looking for quotes and stuff. Don't have this conversation <laughs> with my son, by the way. <laughs> Giving him ideas. He's going to have a Vauxhall Corsa. Okay. Well, that's a good uh, place to start. <laughs> which is probably a classic in itself, isn't it? Sure. Um, yes. Okay. Good. Well, I think, should we wrap it up there? I think... I, yeah, I, look, 20, I, I, all I would say is I think 2024 is going to be super interesting. There are all sorts of pockets of the market, like we see where, interesting where they go. For example, like Formula One cars. We've had really good run with Formula One cars recently. It'd be really interesting to see where they go in 2024. Yeah, and I think with those, what we've seen, the, the real kind of punchy end of the F1 market yeah. are the relatively recent cars. Yes. So the F1 cars of the last 20 or 30 years. Indeed. The the sort of Formula One of the nineteen seventies, for example, yeah. they they're probably the next because they're by comparison fairly more you know like an old thirties F one car yeah. is not Schumacher Ferrari valuable. Sure. So but so I wonder what let's see what's going to go on with those. Yeah, it'd be really interesting with those, and and I think you'll still see uh, more interesting kind of motorsport orientated cars, maybe Group B rally cars or, or endurance cars from the 1980s, 70s. That sort of area of the market is where I'm most interested in watching to see what happens in 2024, because I do think that in some cases, like why is a 956 Porsche that did Le Mans less money than a Carrera GT? I do not understand that. They built, they, you know, they made, yeah. So, you know, the, the I just don't. Well, we got, we got a nine six two in, um, in uh, the Paris sale, haven't we? We do good, we, good we, connection. Yeah, with, 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 <laughs> with, with race history, and I think, oh, I'm dredging my memory. I think the estimate on that's about one point five euros. Yeah, isn't somewhere, it? somewhere ish, but it, you know, it's a rare and valuable, you know, a rare and historically important racing car exactly and it'd be really interesting to see where that area of the market goes yeah. in the next year or so and um yeah i'm looking forward to all the events and seeing people out there and you know embracing the car culture that we have i gr- agreed agreed and uh let's uh, get ready for paris but um thank you will pleasure thank, thank you, you bertie yeah, yeah. Bert. he he's uh, he's just perked up and thinks he's going for a walk uh, and uh, well, thank you everyone. Thank you for joining uh, this episode of RM Sotheby's Car Show, and we will see you next time. Mm-hmm.